traveled around the country um, singing at all different kinds of churches. And Pastor Hoover is one of the only pastors that has reached out to us. Whenever we come, he always makes time for us. And Pastor Hoover, we love you and we appreciate that you think enough of us and think enough of our ministry that you would have us come back again and again. And so we're living the legacy along with the rest of the church. And I wanted to sing this song. I saw a lot of children and young people as well as middle-aged and older people in that video. And I was thinking about this song and one thing that I can say, and I'll talk about it more this evening, but I'm even living the legacy even more so this week than ever before because this week my CD was released and Messiah, Pastor Hoover and Messiah have a lot to do with that. So it's very special for me to be here today that the same week that my CD was released that I'm here with Messiah. But I wanted to, as an introduction to this song, talk about how I'm a product of every person that has come into my life from birth. They've given me a legacy, and most importantly, they've given me a legacy of a relationship with God. And each one of you here has come in, in contact with a child in some way or another, whether it's your own child or someone else's child. And we've got to instill in them a love for God and that they want a relationship with God. Because if we don't reach out to children, we're going to lose them in this world. So I encourage you, just as Pastor Hoover has had an impact on children's lives and even adults' lives, let us have an impact on someone's life that they might see Jesus in us and that they might want Jesus in their lives. Amen. Streaming down, her heart is broken, and because her heart is hurting, so am I. He wears a frown, his dreams are choking, and because he stands alone. His dreams will die. So humbly I come to you and say, as I sound aloud the warfare of today. The children remember when we were children and 
Well, good morning. It's really great to be here today, and I want to thank you for all your kindness uh, in, in celebrating this day with me. I feel kind of awkward anytime there's any kind of personal celebration because I don't feel like, and I'm not saying this in a, in a self-deprecating way, it's just a fact, uh, I'm not worthy of anything. Only Jesus Christ is worthy. But I want to say how much I appreciate getting to be pastor here for 20 years. Um, if any man stays any place for 20 years, it has a whole lot to say about that church. And um, 
and, and putting up with the failings of a man for 20 years. I, have not, I, I can't lay claim to being a great pastor, being a great preacher. There's only one thing I can lay claim to here, and that is that I love this church with all my heart. Um, it doesn't feel like 20 years. It just seems like a few minutes ago that my wife and I drove up with our three-year-old son and one-year-old son. And uh, it just feels like, feels like a few moments ago. I'm reminded of uh, the story of Jacob who worked eventually 14 years for his wife. <clears throat> and he said it seemed just like a little while because of the great love he had for her. And for me, that's what it feels like. God's been good. I want to say a special thanks to my family because uh, having grown up in a pastor's home and having watched my own family, the greatest toll really that pastoring takes is on the life of the family. And I just appreciate my family uh, giving me the opportunity to pastor and a special thanks to all of you and your kindness to me. I want to talk today about legacy. Legacy is so important because it means that you made a difference in your life, that after you're gone, people are going to look at your life and realize that their lives are different because of you. Or it could be that you'll make a major difference in people's lives and they'll never even know about you. It's just that you change the climate, you change the environment. This is the last sermon in a series on a man named Elisha. Elisha was a successor. His predecessor, Elijah, is a very famous Old Testament prophet. Not as much is known about Elisha, but the more I study him, the more I want to emulate him because he took what he learned from Elijah, leveraged the good, didn't carry on the bad, the problems that Elijah had, and he had a marvelous career for God, and he changed, he impacted the environment. Now, I hope that you've enjoyed studying these stories from 2 Kings, the stories of Elisha. We, we just have read a lot of great things about this guy. He was uh, the last guy, perhaps, that anybody would have thought that God would have used. He was uh, plowing in a field. He was a, he was a farmer when Elijah called him. He was the 12th guy plowing with the 12th team of oxen in a line. And yet God picked him and chose him. And Elijah put his mantle on him, signifying that he was going to be God's chosen man to carry on God's work. And from the moment he crossed the Jordan after God took Elijah to heaven, it's just miracle after miracle. Elisha is helping people. He's working with people that aren't the sharpest knives in the drawer, but he is getting them out of trouble. And miracle after miracle occurs. And again, I hope you've enjoyed these stories that we've been looking at in this series. But something happens uh, at one point in Elisha's life. It's just like the stories dry up, and we don't hear from him again until we get to chapter 13. What's significant about that is Elisha's career as a prophet spans about 50 years. Most of the stories that we've been talking about happen in the first seven years of his ministry. So there are 43 silent years in which we don't hear anything about Elisha, and then all of a sudden we hear about two stories at the very end of his life. And it's these two stories that I'm going to draw today's message called Legacy from. Now, I know that a lot of you are not over 30 yet because of this particular service. Some of you are in high school and some of you are young singles, and you're saying, Mark, the last thing I'm worried about is legacy. I'm more worried about student loans than I'm worried about legacy. But here's the thing. If you wait until you get old to leave, leave a legacy, or if you wait till you get old to start working on a legacy, you won't leave one. You won't make a difference. 
In fact, it's interesting that what you do when you're young is going to have the greatest impact on eventually the legacy that you're going to leave. I think that's one of the lessons that God is teaching us by giving us the first seven years of Elisha's ministry and what he accomplished. Because it was in those years that he laid the groundwork for leaving a lasting legacy. And guys, by the way, let me tell you this. When it's all said and done, remember this. You may say, well, Mark, I'm the most important guy in the world. I look great. You know, I've got it going on, and everybody, all the girls think I'm great, and all the guys, they think I'm hot. And listen, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a real fact of life about what happens when you die. They're going to put you in a box. They're going to have a service. They're going to have a funeral. And two hours later, they're going to be back at the church eating potato salad. That's what's going to happen with all of us someday. So uh, that's, that's just a fact. And you, you, you may feel like the greatest person in the world right now, but I want to tell you something. Someday we're going to, go, we're going to exit the stage. And the great news for a child of God, we're going to heaven. We're going to the party. We're not leaving the party. We're going to the party. But what matters to me is when my life is over, I, I want to have made a difference. I want it to have mattered that I lived. And, and listen, you know, our, our country today as a whole, our culture is... is um, we overemphasize celebrity. We don't have heroes anymore, but boy, do we ever have celebrities. There are people today that get all the space, their faces on the cover, People magazine, they're on television, and when they die, it isn't going to matter that they lived. Last night when I got in late, I happened to turn on one of the TV stations. It was right before our broadcast came on, and it was talking about the people who are celebrities and how much money they have and what they're going to leave. I wonder when it gets right down to it, is it going to matter a whole lot positively that Michael Jackson lived? I hope it will. I mean, is it going to matter that the Hiltons, is it going to matter that they lived? Is it going to make a difference? What matters is what we do for Jesus Christ, what we do to impact people positively in the ways of God. So this morning I want to talk to you very briefly in this little sermon about legacy. And in Elisha's life, he gives us two keys to leaving a lasting legacy. If you're interested in leaving a legacy today, if you're interested in making a difference in the world, positive difference, you need to focus on these two keys to leaving a lasting legacy. As I said, 43 years of silence, the Bible doesn't say anything about Elisha. My guess is he's taking care of business. What you saw in that first seven years is kind of a sampling of the way he would live his entire life. But now, as he's putting down the flaps, God comes back and tells a couple of stories about this great man. We're in 2 Kings 13, and I'm going to pick up verse 14. And this may not sound all that interesting as we read through it, but let's, let's read it anyway. I think when we back up, we're going to get a real lesson about leaving a legacy. When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. Now, let me just tell you what this king is. The king is a young guy. He hasn't been on the throne very long, and he's coming to visit this great prophet, Elisha, who is now in his 80s, and he is dying. The Bible tells us this is his last illness. Indicates that perhaps Elisha struggled with some illnesses. The fact that the Bible indicates this is his last one. But now this young guy comes to him, and he's weeping because he's king. He loves this elderly man. This man has been a great blessing to Israel. And he, he has this comment that maybe we don't really attach to, but Elisha knew what he was saying. He said, my father, my father, the chariots and charioteers of Israel. Let me tell you what that means. What this, what this king was saying is, Elisha, my father, you have been our army. You have been our chariots. You have been our charioteers. And that was true. If you study the life of Elisha, time in and time out, Elisha's leadership had delivered Israel from the hands of the Arameans. 
And so he was, he was talking to Elisha about how much he had meant to the country. Verse 15, Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. <laughs> Did you notice that Elisha didn't really pick up on all these good things that, that the king was saying about him? He said, get a bow and some arrows. And the king, king did as he was told. That's an interesting line, isn't it? Do you see that? And the king did as he was told. Then Elisha told the king of Israel to put his hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hand on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he did. Then Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow full of victory over Aram for you. Uh, you will completely conquer the Aramans at Aphek. Now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times, but the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until they were entirely destroyed. Now you'll be victorious only three times. What do you draw from that story? Here's the first key to leaving a lasting legacy. It's important for every one of us, and especially those of us who are over 40. <laughs> he finished strong. He finished strong. In our culture today, older people are encouraged to find a soft place to rest and play out, run out the clock. That's what older people are supposed to do in America. You're supposed to chill until the big chill comes. What I love about Elisha is he's not at all interested in that. His body may be, may be weak. He may not have the strength that he used to have. He may not even be able to pull back an arrow anymore in a bow, but he is still strong in his spirit. Let me show you a couple things about this. First off, notice that he refused to live in the past. I love that. Here comes this young king. And he's just come on the throne. He knows the history of this great prophet who is now 80 years old. He knows the great stories about him. And the king comes in there boohooing over his bed and said, Oh, my father, you've been the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. You've been so much to us. And if Elisha had been like a lot of older people, he'd have said, Yes, my boy, back in my days. Oh, let me tell you how we did it back in my times. Now, he said, get, get a bow and some arrows. We got work to do. Yeah, maybe, maybe God has used me. Maybe I was something back then for God. But we can't talk about that right now because we got work to do. The Arameans are out there at the borders. The, the barbarians are at the gate. Get a bow and some arrows. Now I want to challenge everybody who is in, at least in the Middle Ages. Don't live in the past. That's what this whole series has been about. There is, a, as I've been sharing with you, there's often a disconnect in churches between older generations and a younger generation. And it's like, wow, we don't, we don't like what's being done today. We don't like the songs that are being sung today. We don't like the style of worship. We're going to go back to, we're going to go to some church where it's filled with older people where they do it our way. You know what? You do that, you can do that. And a lot of people are, you're not going to finish strong. You're going to finish in a church filled with elderly people that's not winning anybody to Christ. And all they're doing is just running out the clock, living in yesterday. I want to see, here's what, here's what lights my fire. One of the things that excites me the most in pastoring this church is we've got some people that are in their 80s and even in their 90s that are still passionate about what God is doing. They're excited about the work of God. I, don't you love those kind of people? 
I mean, I want to be like Elisha. Elisha's 80 years old. He's in his last illness. He doesn't have the strength to do anything. And a young kid comes by to patronize him, and Elisha's not having any of it. He's saying, son, we got work to do. I want, you know, there are churches that say, well, you can have either younger people or you can have older people. I can't see why we can't have all ages here passionate about doing the work of God. I love that about Elisha. He's not living in the past. Let me tell you something. And I'm not just talking to, I'm talking to people in their 40s and 50s. If all your stories about God are five years old, you got a problem. If all you can talk about is what God did 10 years ago, you got a problem. If you're walking with God, you ought to have some this week stories. You ought, to, you ought to have some stories of what God is doing today. And again, I know I'm saying some controversial things in this series, but that's nothing new for me for those of you who've been listening to me preach for 20 years. Here's what I want to say today. You say, Mark, I just like the old songs. I like songs that are written 30 and 40 years ago. Listen, something's wrong if God is not touching some people today with some songs today that speak to today's people. Amen. If all you've got is an attachment to what God was doing 30 years ago, oh, this is going to be tough, but let me say it anyway. Your thing is not what God is doing. Your thing is nostalgia. If all you've got is what God was doing 30 or 40 years ago, as I said in the first sermon, it's just like going to Spangles and moving back to the 50s for a few moments. I love the fact that Elisha was not living in the past. Let's take the next one. You still love me? Somebody's got to say it, amen? I mean, we're just watching, we're watching the slow undoing of a lot of American churches today because of this very thing. Number two, he knew it wasn't about him. He knew it wasn't about him. Now, I'm like, I'm like Elisha, I'm sure, and all of us, we like to hear nice things said about us. It was very gracious to hear the kind things that people were saying. But even as I sat there and listened to all those wonderful words and I appreciated them, what I do know is this, it's not about me. It's not about any of us, Amen. As I said a few moments ago, after we die, a new generation is going to take the torch. They're going to be back at the church eating potato salad, and they'll have some good thoughts about you, but life moves on. Now listen, here's what happens in this story. The king comes by, and he says, oh, my father, it's all about you. You have been, you have been the thing. You have been the army. You have been so important. But Elisha's not picking up on any of that. He is saying, son, get your bow, get your arrows. We're going to talk now about what God is going to be doing in our world. Now, here's the thing. Your life, however long it is, and let's pray it's a very long time, your life, as far as this world goes, is just a bracket on time. Many times people say, well, there were good times when I'm young, but now that I'm old, it's, it's not good anymore. What we need to understand is this. Our life, however long it is, is just a bracket of time. During that bracket, we have been placed here to make a difference in our world. And it's not about us. The very fact that we're going to pass from the scene indicates that it's not about us. Let me give you the third one real quickly as we move along. His body may have weakened, but his passion didn't. Now, we tend to think that the norm goes like this, that when you're young, you have a lot of passion. And when you get old, you kind of mellow out and you don't have the passion anymore. Don't you find it interesting that we have a story of a passionless young man and a passionate old man? Remember what happened? The king said to Elisha, Elisha said to the king, get your bow and get your arrow. Elisha doesn't have the strength to pull the arrow back anymore. So he asked the king to do it and he lays his hands 
on the king's hands, signifying that this was what he would do if he had the strength to do it. And the king shoots the arrow out toward the Arameans, signifying that God was going to give Israel victory over the Arameans. And now, Elisha says to the king, take the arrows that you have left and strike the ground. And so the king is not all, all, all as passionate as Elisha is. He takes his arrows and he hits the ground three times. Isn't it interesting that even though Elisha is dying, he still has the energy to get furious. He is angry at this kid, this punk kid. And he is saying, what a dumb thing to do. If you had hit the ground with passion, if you'd struck the ground with passion, God would have helped you defeat the enemy completely. But because you only struck the ground three times, you weren't passionate about it, you're only going to have three victories. And you can study the Bible, and that's exactly what happened. I just love that, don't you? Don't you just love that old man, 80 years old, dying mad because the young guy doesn't have any passion? Even though his body may have given out on him, and even though illness had wreaked havoc in his body, his fire still burned on the inside. And that's how I want to be. If you want to leave a legacy, finish strong. Finish with some passion. Don't just be looking for a soft place to rest, but finish with passion. Now, let me give you the second story here, and this is really something. Verse 20. Then Elisha died and was buried. Groups of Moabite raiders used to invade the land each spring. Once when some Israelites were burying a man, they spied a band of these raiders. So they hastily threw the body they were burying into the tomb of Elisha. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. Did you know that was in the Bible? That's a brand new story to some of us, isn't it? So Elisha's now past his, his last illness. He's dead. And he's in the ground. And by this time, decomposition has set in so that all is left is bones. Now, for those of you who attend Sunday night worship, I, I preached a message how, on the subject how that Elisha is a type of Christ. And this is, this is part of that. That's for another, another day. So what's, what's going on here is these uh, Israelites are being, they're under attack by these people that they would have really beaten if the king had had a lot of passion. But in any event, they're, they're, they're carrying this man out to bury him. And while they're carrying him out to bury him, they're being attacked by these Arameans. And so, you know what, when you're at, at that point where like these guys were, you're not worried about burying the guy anymore. You're just worried about not being buried yourself. And they take him and they just throw him into the sepulcher where Elisha's bones were. And this is what the Bible says, so we know it's true. The moment this man's corpse hit the bones of Elisha, he jumped up to his feet. Now, there's a whole lot that we could talk about in this story, but the thing that I want to call out of this message is this. Elisha was still making a difference after he was gone. That's attractive to me. Isn't it to you? I, I want to still be making a difference after I'm gone. Now, how do you do that? Let's ask that. How do you make a difference after you're gone? I've heard David Jeremiah talk about men that had influence on his life, and he said they're still racking up points even after they're gone. And that's a good thought. And I don't know how God rewards. If it's like Amway, it could really be interesting, you know? Because, like, if you have an impact on somebody's life and they have an impact on somebody else's life and they have an impact on somebody else's life, it could get really rich when you get to heaven. But the thing I love about this is Elisha was still making a difference after he was gone. How do you do that? Well, listen, anytime you want any kind of income down the road, you have to do what? You have to what? Invest, right? If you want income down the road, you have to invest. So now if you want to make a difference after you're gone, how do you do that? 
you have to invest. You can't consume. If all you do is consume, you're not going to make a difference after you're gone. If all you do is spend your life on yourself and your own interests and your own pursuits and trying to make yourself live a better life and feather you on this, trust me, you're not going to make a difference after you're gone. If you want to make a difference, you got to do what people do who want, inc- want return on their income. you got to invest. So how do you invest? Look at Elisha. Very clearly, he invested his life in God. In God. He invested his life in serving God. Jesus said this. I've always been intrigued by this statement. In Mark 8, 35, it's also in the other synoptic gospels. Jesus said, if you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find true life. And how do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? God is saying, you want to hold on to life? And that's what we want to do. I mean, the fact, you know, it's really been interesting to me to watch us baby boomers age. We refuse to get old. You know, 30 was the new 20. And 40 is the new 30, and 50 is the new 40. I mean, baby boomers just do not want to get old. And we try everything we can to to look young. But in the final analysis, you cannot hold on to life. It's like a vapor, the Bible says. It's like trying to grab a puff of smoke. Even as as, as I'm before you here today thinking about 20 years here at Messiah, it feels like a few moments that I've been here. And Jesus is saying the only way to hold on to life is to give it away. If you try to clutch it, it'll get away from you. And I love that about Elisha. He lived his life investing in God. And then we could spend weeks talking about what it means to invest in God. But simply put, it means to put God first in every day of your life, in every way. And it's through his word, through worship, through prayer, through sharing the gospel with other people. The main thing is just doing God's will in your life. He invested his life in God. And because of that, he was still making a difference after he was gone. And then you expected me to say this. He invested his life in others. Read the story of Elisha, and he's always helping somebody. He's always getting somebody out of trouble. At first, it was Elijah he was helping, and then it was the young prophets, and it was a klutzy assistant, and the widow of the prophet, and the Shunammite woman, and her family, and kings who were always getting into trouble by doing dumb things. And when you study Elisha's life, it's like he's always having to bail somebody out. <clears throat> you could argue, if you wanted to, that Elisha invested his life in losers. Because Israel was not serving God, they were in a lot of trouble, and he was always helping people who were doing stupid things, but he was investing his life in people who needed him. The life of Jesus, though, reminds us of something. In, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter, chapter 9, verse 10, the Bible says, that night Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to be his dinner guests along with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. The Pharisees were indignant. Why does your teacher eat with such scum, they asked his disciples. When he heard this, Jesus replied, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. How many sick people? I don't mean necessarily physically sick. I'm talking about how many people who have needs. How many people do you invest your life in? You're never going to have perfect people. You say, well, Mark, I, I got people in my life who have needs all around me, but they're just so crazy and they're so messed up. And I Listen, everybody has issues. Amen. If you want to make a lasting difference, you got to invest in sick people. You got to invest in people who need help. Elisha did it. <clears throat> he was making a difference long after he was gone. It's on my mind today because on this day that we're celebrating <clears throat> my 20 years here, 
I can't help but think about a lady that uh, I talked about in the first sermon. Remember I talked to you about my grandmother who had nine children during some pretty tough years, through, through the Depression years and, and even the war years, and, and grew up in a, in a home where a father had abandoned her mother and her other siblings. And, and, and then she married my grandfather when she was a teenager. And my grandfather was an alcoholic for a number of years. I never knew him like that. He got saved before I was born. But all that time, my grandmother kept the family in church and, and taught her kids the ways of God. And I've often thought about the huge difference that she made in, in our lives. And the fact that I'm here today, that, this is the thing that gets me. See, the fact that I'm here today has a whole lot to do with what that, what that little farm girl did down in South Texas. And I tried to share some things with you in that, uh, in that first service, but uh, my cousin, Anita, is, is here today. And uh, she's in the middle of a tour right now and found a way to fly in and be here. But my, my cousin had a recently re- released book called The Purse Driven Life. She's a Christian comedian. And uh, I was at Walmart the other day and picked up a copy of Anita's book, and I was reading through it. And in one of the chapters, Anita talks about our grandmother. And here's what she writes. Nana did the best she could to doctor her brood and keep body and souls together. This woman, who married at 15 and was pregnant for 20 years, was the bedrock of our family. And she had seen enough hard times before the age of 20 to kill a lesser person. But Nana found her strength in God and did whatever was necessary not only to survive but to bless others. Did you catch that? If you were to ask my mom's brothers and sisters, of which my dad would be the oldest, each would have his or, own story, his or her own story of a time when Nana would somehow manage to come up with whatever, with whatever was needed. Her resourcefulness was nothing short of miraculous. She would sell eggs and save enough to help her sons buy engagement rings. Nana also had a reputation as a fine cook. She could make the fluffiest rolls and the best roast she ever wrapped your lips around. She loved to feed people in general, but she got her greatest joy from feeding preachers. I think, Anita writes, she felt she owed her very existence to the fact that someone told her about a hope that went beyond this life and that one of the ways she could show her gratitude was to feed the people who delivered the message on a regular basis, my Nana always had a heart for preachers. And although she died before I became pastor of this great church, her legacy lives on today. You want to leave a legacy? You want it to matter that you lived? Finish strong. Don't veg in the last years of your life. And invest in people. Invest in God. And long after God takes you to heaven, as David says, David Jeremiah says, you'll still be racking up points. That's what I want. And I think that's what you want. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for the joy of being here. Father, I just pray that every one of us here today will set our course to make a difference. 
May it matter that we lived. Because after we're gone, it won't matter where we lived or what we drove or what we wore. What will matter will be what we invested in you and the lives of other people. And I pray that you'll help us. Father, some of us who are a little older, we need to stop living in the past and see what you're doing today. And God, there's some of us of all ages here today that have gotten to believe that it's all about us. Help us to see that you put us here in a bracket of time to make a difference. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here today who's never received Jesus, that today will be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray.